In a perfect world, every congressional office, Senate and House, would have a military-connected person on their staff. Welcome to 1CA Podcast. This is Jack. That's the voice of Jody Harmon from Hillvets Foundation. Jody and Hillvets help service members and their families gain staff positions on Capitol Hill. We're bringing them on today because they currently have a Marine CA reservist in their fellowship program. So it seemed like a great idea and a great opportunity to bring Jody in and discuss the program. This will be a great episode for people who are interested in policy or veteran advocacy. We had a lot of fun putting it together, so stay tuned. Give me your professional summary right now, how you got to Hill Vets. Oh, okay. I can do that. Sure. How did you get to Hill Vets? <laughs> well, it's, it's, an interesting, it's an interesting story. Much like many people who end up in the nonprofit world, you don't grow up as a little kid going, I want to work in a nonprofit because, you know, you don't make any money working in a nonprofit. It's all about the cause. Many years ago, um, I was an elementary school teacher, actually, for about 15 years. It was a nice, portable military spouse career. And understand this was the mid to late 90s into the 2000s, so it's been a minute. We didn't have, at the time, a lot of the cool advantages that military spouses have now. Things like licensing and certifying and things like that being reimbursed by the service, you know. Or spouse preferences on jobs. That kind of thing, yeah. So we footed those bills and we made do. Luckily, I never had, while I was teaching, the un- and underemployment issues that military spouses, we all know, have. The unemployment rate in, among military spouses is well into the 20%. And, oh, it's terrible. Yeah. Oh, it's terrible. It's awful. And luckily, as a teacher, I didn't face that. And that was, understand, pre-internet era. You were doing everything by phone and snail mail. And, you know, so... I was lucky because I had a very portable career at the time. When that we went lucky. overseas in 2007, we went to Okinawa. We were there for four years. I had every intention of still teaching when, whenever it was we came back to the States. We thought we were going to be there three years. We ended up being there four years. But when we came back in 2011, the U.S. educational system had changed in a way I didn't agree with. I don't want to like say it for the record, but everybody, sure. I'm sure, in given the timeline, I'm sure everybody can figure it out. I just didn't agree with it. And we had gone to a state that had adopted it. And I was like, no, I, no. Plus, generation of people uh, that I am not part of started having kids and they were elementary <laughs> school students. And I was like, I am not dealing with these parents, not doing it. Oh, oh dear. <laughs> Gosh, I am not dealing with these parents. So you grew um, out of the job. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was like, nope, I'm. This is no longer the profession for me. But while we were at McDill Air Force Base, my husband was with uh, Marine Forces Central Command. I went to grad school. I went to the University of South Florida, which was there in Tampa, and got my master's of library and information science. It had always been kind of my goal to be a librarian. And more like an archivist style librarian or ex- researcher librarian type thing. You know what? Archives actually that's exactly my passion. It's interesting okay. that you say that. Yeah, while I was in grad school I discovered like archiving and special collections and I decided I wanted to be one of those people, you know, working in a clean room with white gloves touching thousand-year-old manuscripts, you know, I right. just, like, am fascinated by that. So that was my specialization. My husband got orders to the Pentagon in 2015, and I was so excited. I was like, oh, Library of Congress, Archives, Smithsonian. Whoa, let's go. USA Jobs is a soul-sucking experience. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> I'm sorry. I'm not even. Do you gonna see the bland you. color in my eye, my skin? That's because I've gotten I've applied for many jobs there. Oh, and it's, it's pulling the life out of me. <laughs> and it's like with the Library of Congress as an example, there were library assistant positions. I have a master's in library science. The bots would come back as, oh, you know, sorry, you didn't, you know, you don't qualify for this job. And I was like, what are you talking about? I'm overqualified for this job. Right. It was just trying to get through the bots. And I had taken the KSA classes that MCCS offer. I mean, I'd done all that. Right. Uh, and apparently it didn't help. And so I gave up. I, I didn't have my network, uh, which I'll I'll talk about the importance of networking when we Please start do. talking about the actual Hill Vets Fellowship and whatnot. Yeah, I didn't have that network and I didn't know anybody. Here I was just trying to get through these bots using all the right keywords, but it just wasn't happening and I gave up. And a person who's now a dear friend of mine, an army spouse, and she was in the veteran nonprofit space in D.C., and used to just rave about everything she was doing. And I was like, wow, this is so cool. She moved from one veteran nonprofit to a different veteran nonprofit. And after being there only a couple of months, the DC office of that nonprofit was expanding. And I get this text one day, are you still looking for a job? And I was like, well, yeah, I, you know, I absolutely would love to have a job. I'm not a stay-at-home mom type of person. And at that point, like my son had graduated from high school. My kids were now technically adults. No reason for me to be at home all day. So I said, yeah, sure. They basically had created a position just for me. Again, the importance of networking. Put it on Indeed. As soon as I submitted my resume, they closed the the job. (laughs) Um, Now, don't get me wrong. They didn't do anything, you know, unethical. They actually interviewed two other people in the time it took me to get my resume finalized. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not like they, you know, didn't do things right. And they actually did interview two other people, but all of a sudden I'm working for a veteran nonprofit. And I started out doing events, which I'm very good at as, as a military spouse, as a teacher, plan and implement a thing. I could do that in my sleep. (laughs) (laughs) Fantastic. Um, Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's a skill. Yeah. And so then her husband got orders and they move and it just kind of a series of odd events. All of a sudden, I was doing veterans advocacy instead. The gentleman I worked under, I'm totally going to name him here because he's amazing. His name's Bob Carey. He's been in the DC veteran space for, I don't know, 35, something like that years. He is a known entity. The man is brilliant. And I don't think I could have had a better mentor in the DC veteran space to teach me how, basically. Sure. I learned so much and understand I have no background in policy, government, political science, any of that. My bachelor's degree is in vocal performance. I mean, really, I have no other than my (laughs) lived experience as a military spouse. This was completely brand new to me. And I realized I'd found my cause, my, my calling. I was like, you know what? My husband is an officer. He's getting ready to retire. We don't have to live on my salary I can work in a nonprofit and we'll be okay, you know, because again, you don't go into the nonprofit life to be rich. And so I did that for three and a half years. Like I said, I learned so much, but dot, 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 the frustration that I as a military spouse felt when trying to talk to a congressional staffer about veteran legislation and that staffer had no military connection whatsoever, there were days I felt like I was going to pull out my hair. And so I knew... If 
I was this frustrated as quote unquote, just a military spouse. I can't imagine how actual veterans who are in the veteran advocacy space, and let's face it, most of veteran advocacy people are veterans, or they're maybe still reservists and guard and, you know, whatever. I can't imagine how frustrated they were or can be if I was as frustrated as I was. Sure. So I had heard of Hill Vets. I knew all about them. Fellow DC veteran nonprofit had been to several of their monthly networking socials. And then the pandemic hit. And of course, life changed as we all know it. But when this position came open about just a little over a year ago, I had no life. Four different people ping me like, Jody, you need to apply for this job. You'd be perfect for this job. Wow. You need to do this job. <laughs> Again, so, the network. The network uh, was right. alerting you. This is it for you. <laughs> Pretty much. And sure. wow, I actually have a decent network and I've probably never even met in person most of these people. So it just, it's an interesting piece of, of kind of just how it is of how important networking truly is. So I applied for the position. It took a minute to get through the application process and the interviewing process and all that, but I started in January of this year as director of programs. Nice. So since everyone said it was perfect for you, how are you feeling? I I love it. When when everyone was like, oh, this job just came open and you need to apply for it. I heard of Hillvets, bend a couple of their things, but I looked into it more deeply as one does. And Mm -hmm. Hillvets' mission at its core to be a support system for the DC veteran community, particularly those in the public policy realm and to increase the voice of the military-connected community in public policymaking, I was all in. That's a big role. It it is, because like I said, the frustration I felt trying to talk about veteran legislation with someone who had no idea what I was talking about is proof positive that we need more people who would know what I'm talking about in Capitol Hill offices. And so I I am, I'm all in. I love Hillvets' mission. I'm 100% on board with it. Uh, I do truly love our mission and I I love the people I meet. Everyone in this space is amazing. And I love hearing everybody's stories of how, how did you get to DC and become interested in public policymaking as a veteran or as a spouse or as a whatever, you know, it's just. It's great. And you guys have helped place a number of veterans and spouses into positions within the Hill or in policy or into nonprofits in the region that do advocacy for veterans and others, right? We certainly have. So programmatically, we kind of have three pillars, let's say. The hallmark program of Hillvets is the Hillvets Fellowship. And basically, that is a program in which we act as the scaffolding, I like to say, to support a transitioning service member, veteran, guard, reservist, or gold star family member to help them find their own fellowship in a Capitol Hill office. And when we say fellowship, we're talking about six-ish months. We're talking about doing substantive policy work, just like a staffer would do. This is not an internship. Our folks are not making coffee and copies. (laughs) That would be horrible. Right. And and don't get me wrong. Interns, there's a role for interns. I'm not being disparate to those folks, but that's not what our people are. Our folks have completed bachelor's degrees at a minimum. Most of them have more than that. 
not to mention whatever schooling they went through in the military. So, you know, our folks, the idea is that they will be learning truly what it is to be a staffer. We we consider this to be an entry level type of a thing. You have a great example right now. You have a CA soldier who wants to get a position on the Hill. He is currently a fellow. So yeah, um, Jonathan Pierce is actually a Marine Corps reservist. He's a drilling reservist. Um, he drills once a month. Interestingly, he has to, has to fly all the way to Oregon to do his drilling, but he makes it work. He is currently an in-house fellow, and I'll talk about Hillvet's house in a minute. He has a background in civil affairs, and I will tell you he has received his placement offer and has accepted it, but only verbally. It hasn't come in writing yet, so I don't want to say who it is. He will start in a house office right after the new year, January 3rd or 4th or whatever it is. He applied, he stayed in-house, he went through the training, right? I mean, how, how did his process work? So, well, the, the process of becoming a Hillvets Fellow is is actually pretty simple, I think, by comparison to a lot of other programs that are out there. And we have basically two requirements for our applicants. You have to have a completed bachelor's degree, and again, transitioning service member, veteran, guard, reserve, gold star family member. You tick those boxes, you can apply. The application, you send us your resume, a cover letter, and I do the initial sort of evaluation on that. And then I contact the applicant and either say, no, thank you. It doesn't look like you're going to be the right fit. And I have actually had to do that just since January. Or I ask them if we can get on a phone call. And so I start with a phone call, one, because I want it to be a very personal experience for the applicant. And I'm big on expectation management. And I want the applicant to go into the rest of the application process with eyes wide open so that there will be no surprises. They can ask me all their questions about the logistics of the fellowship, about compensation and benefits, or in our case, the lack thereof, all the things. And they can then decide if this is definitely the fellowship for me and I'm going to move forward or, okay, no, thank you. But I make it clear even to those folks if Hillvets can still help you in any way, if our vast Hillvets community network can help you in your goals, please can still reach out, still use us as a resource. So we are a resource for any veteran or military connected person, not just those whom we deem you know, worthy, worthy of our programs <laughs> or who choose to use our programs. We're, we're still a huge resource. So after that initial phone call, if the applicant decides, yep, this is for me, I'm going to move forward. We ask for a writing sample, we check references, and we do a one-hour formal interview with myself and a member of the board of directors. We do that by Zoom because obviously our applicants are all over everywhere. I mean, we have, I have an applicant right now, I believe he's in Bahrain right now. I don't know. So scheduling a phone call has been interesting, but we, you know, we've made it work. So then becomes, then once I say, poof, you are a Hillvets fellow, yay, starts the onboarding process. And onboarding is, you know, a bunch of back-end paperwork and boring stuff like that. But one of the first things I ask our new fellows to do is to revamp their resumes. I call it hillifying their resume. <laughs> now, I'm not an HR professional and I've never worked on the Hill. So I do as much as I can in guiding them to hillify their resume. But that's where our network of a lot of our alums, either our fellowship alums or even our lead alums 
who currently work on the Hill, I then connect our brand new fellow with those folks and say, here is his, his or her resume as it currently stands. Could you take a look, give them some feedback so that we can move forward? So we look for, you know, truly anything that we can highlight and focus on that will make them super attractive above and beyond their status as a military connected person to a congressional office. And for some, that's easier than others. Like I said, this is an entry level program. A lot of our fellows have never done anything like this. Kind of like when Jody joined her first nonprofit and had never done any advocacy of any kind ever. That is true for our fellows. These folks do not necessarily have degrees in poli sci, public policy, government relations, whatever, but they've decided that this is what they think they'd like to be when they grow up. You prep them before they jump in the deep end. Exactly. Exactly. So that's why we exist. It is the hill right for you. We have had fellows historically prior to my tenure with the organization who have finished their fellowship and and gone, nope, I want no part of this. Uh, <laughs> Capitol Hill is not for everybody. It's just not. A lot of times you you look behind the curtain and don't like what you see. Sure. And and that's okay. That and and again, that's part of why we're here. We're kind of like a try it before you buy it, so right. to speak, kind of a, a, a thing, the fellowship. So it saves so, saves those people from committing a lot of time and money and then right. end up in a horrible place that they're and, like, and, oh, I just can't stand this. What am I doing here? Exactly. Exactly. Because as we all know here in DC, it's about who you know. Mm-hmm. It really is. It just whether you agree with it or think it's right, wrong, or otherwise, it just is. That's how you get a job in this town is you got to know somebody. And so if these military connected folks without a Hill Vets Fellowship opportunity had just come to D.C. blindly and started trying to be hired as a staffer on Capitol Hill, they would very likely find it as frustrating as I did going trying to get (laughs) USA jobs because they wouldn't know anybody and they're just another resume in a pile and it, it would be very frustrating for them. So what we do to help our brand new fellows find their optimal placement, I have sort of what I call three buckets. We have Hill Vets Fellowship Ambassadors, and you can find those on our website. We have, a, I think it's 44 right now, though we do have four who did not run for re-election. They are retiring from politics. So mm-hmm. we're going to lose those folks. But I think we have 44 right now both chambers, both sides of the aisle, even fairly extreme sides of the aisle, because Hill Vets is 100% nonpartisan. We are non-issue based. We do not do any advocacy of our own. We do not sign on to issue letters or anything like that. Right. So if if a fellow wants to try to get into an AOC office or even a Marjorie Taylor Greene office, we are going to help them do that regardless of our personal feelings of either of those more extreme either side of the aisle. So, And, and that works well because most military members have been beaten in our heads to accept that people who are elected are there by the people and you support mm-hmm. them. So I'm sure that a lot of the vets that come in there can digest that better than the average person. But then they still have their own, yeah, their own tendency. So they're going to go after them and and find that that position that makes them fit best or they'll get out. Exactly. Uh, yeah. So, okay. What you, that was one program. Um, can you mm-hmm. talk through the other two programs? Sure. So the second one is not so much a program as it is uh, staying true to our roots about 
the importance of networking. I've mentioned it numerous times already, the importance of networking, meeting people, connecting with people. This town is about who you know. Hill Vets was started as a group of veterans who worked on the hill and got together and drank. Not even going to sugarcoat that. That's just how Hill Vets got started. So we stay true to those roots. And we offer monthly networking events that are free and open to the public. Right now, they're being held the first Thursday of every month at one specific place. But into 2023, we're going to mix that up a little bit, kind of make them new and fresh every month. Those are free and open to the public. You do not have to be a fellow or lead protege or even in the Hillvets community on our radar to attend. You don't even have to be military connected. We put these events out on Facebook. I share them from there. I share them on LinkedIn. So literally anybody who wants to can come. We even buy the first round of drinks. Wow. Uh, a little light food, first round of drinks is on us. But the idea is to meet people, to meet right. people who have similar interests or possibly are completely different from you. Because that is a hole that a lot of people fall into when they're networking. Everybody mm -hmm. is just like them because that's comfortable and safe. And not that there's anything wrong with it, but meeting new people who do not have the exact same experiences as a person is can open far more doors in terms of networking than if everybody is just like you. So that's why these are bring everybody and their brother as long as they're old enough to drink. We're good because meeting people is meeting people is meeting people. Networking is networking is networking. You never know when someone you met at XYZ place and talked to about their dog, you know, whatever might come in handy when you are job hunting because you never know. You don't know what you're going to do in 10 years. No, I certainly don't know what I'm going to be doing in 10 years. That's kind of a, it, it's not so much a program as it is a function we, or a practice you guys have. It's, it's a kind of a practice. That's a good way of putting sure. it. But it is integral to our program. And as a matter of fact, our fellows, part of their fellowship, they have a requirement from us. They have to do a certain amount of their own networking. There is that hmm. they actually have a networking tracker, a spreadsheet that is a live document that they fill out as they go. And I can check on my end to make sure they are not just relying on us to make their own connections, that nice. they are making their own connections, that they are having coffees with people, that they are reaching out to strangers on LinkedIn. Uh, you know, we could do a whole podcast on the importance of LinkedIn. Um, <laughs> yeah, we could. So I attest, I tell our fellows my personal experiences with LinkedIn. And my husband is retiring uh, one January. He was originally going to retire and the pandemic hit. So he pulled his retirement papers and spent the pandemic networking on LinkedIn. He is like wow. networking on LinkedIn success story. And so I share that with our fellows and with other people of don't discount how important online platforms can be to network. A person can be in your network and you've never met them in person. Sure. They're still in your, you know, they're still somebody, you know, in a professional ish capacity who could be of use someday. <laughs> and right. even if they're not of use someday, you might be of use to them. So we recognize and embrace the validity and value and importance of networking. Well, Jody, if you don't mind, I'm going to plug a friend of mine's networking class. It's free. I love that. His name's Jordan Harbinger, and he has a podcast, and he has free online courses for people on how to network, how to dive into all the contacts you have and start building a 
structure for keeping them in a warm network and then how to reach out to new people, how to reach out to people that you feel are in a senior position and talking to them. It's a, it's a great program. It's free. He does it because it helps save him from a miserable job. So <laughs> <laughs> jordanharbinger.com, check it out. I, I will. And I, I will actually ask you when we're done, I'll, I'd love to, you know, have you send me information about him in our He's onboarding. He's a friend of vets. So yeah. that's a good thing. In, in our onboarding for both our fellowship and our lead program, giving resources, professional resources that veterans and, and anybody can just kind of have under their belt. I'm all about having more resources. So I absolutely will, will share that opportunity with our, our fellows. And so that brings me to program number three is our lead program, LEAD. Stands for Leadership, Ethics, Advocacy, and Dedication. You can say dedication to self, cause, purpose, whatever. Just dedication. We are about to start Lead Cohort 8. Lead Cohort 8 will begin at the end of January. So Lead 8 is currently scheduled to begin Tuesday, January 31st. Once a week, it's held in the evenings at Hillvet's House, which is on 12th Street Southeast in between Independence Avenue and Lincoln Park. We have a whole basement common area that we we use for our lead program. We bring in expert guest speakers in a range of, of topic areas and expertise areas. The lead program is for anyone who is sort of mid-career level in their lives. So sure. a me, a you, major-ish level, gunny-ish level, or whatever. I only know Marine Corps speak, so I'm not trying to exclude other services. And out of disclosure, I was a member of LEAD 6. You were. And, that's right. Yeah, and participated. So and that's part of the reason I wanted to bring on the podcast, because I felt like the connections I made were tremendous. I mean, I met the you know leaders of Wounded Warrior Project, a couple um, congressional members, and um, some former secretaries of defense. That was amazing. Yeah. So when now, interestingly, when you went through lead, lead six, it was 12 weeks. Lead is now 16 weeks and it is only once a year. It is a leadership development program at its sort of core. It does have a military slant to it. It does have sort of a policy slant to it, but you don't, have to be in either of those areas to go through lead because at its core, it truly is a leadership development course. And, and so the expert guest speakers we bring in every week are leaders in whatever their field is. As an example, we have had, like you said, members of Congress, former cabinet secretaries. We have congressional staffers as our expert guest speakers. We have leaders from the VSO. We've had VA press secretaries. We've had chiefs of staffs from federal agencies. During the LEAD 7 earlier in 2022, we had the former Commandant of the Marine Corps, General Bob Neller. I mean, you name it, we've had someone in a similar type of a role. Soup to nuts is kind of what I call it. Right. And something I would bring up is that it's both on-site and remote. So if you don't live in D.C., you can still participate. You can still dial in and be in these right. conversations. And typically, 100%. from what I remember, they would have the person come in and they would talk a little bit about their experiences and give some recommendations. And then they'd go around the internet in the room and people could ask questions and they can talk yes. and they can do follow-ups. And they'd usually give a contact too. So Absolutely, you know, people get- 100%. And so it's valuable for anyone 
who wants to be involved in that level of discussion. And it's wonderful. I lead seven uh, earlier this year was obviously my first experience with it uh, as a staffer, though. Capcom 6, your Capcom, I did actually attend just as an attendee. I had applied for my job by then. So I was like, let me attend Capcom, see what it even is so that I can, you know, kind of eyes wide open, go into this position if I get it. I did get it. So at least I had seen a Capcom from that side. Interestingly, Capcom is now two days. Yours was one day. Capcom is now two days. And actually for for lead eight, expanding the fire teams, we're going to have more fire teams with different topics, keeping the original three of defense and national security, veterans and military families, and media and communications. We're expanding. We're going to have one that's intelligence and cybersecurity, one that is DEI, and one that is foreign relations or international relations. I haven't... DEI. Diversity, equity, and inclusion. Diversity, equity, inclusion. Okay. My apologies. I should have said it that way. (laughs) No problem. And the lead cohort will plan and implement a significant portion of the Capcom event, as you're aware. Uh, what fire team were you on? Ah, Defense 6. Okay, that's, and I figured you probably were either defense or veterans, just given your background, though now with this podcast, you could be considered like a media communications type of a, a, a person. So <laughs> sure. I was I was competing with Mike Levine for that one, so I was out. I got you, I got you. <laughs> right, broadcast Mike, I got you. So the lead cohort as a full cohort, decides on the overall theme of the Capcom event. For example, Lead 7 decided on the theme of recruit, retain, reinvent. And, you know, who knows what Lead 8 will decide on. But that way, Capcom is cohort-led. And it's going to be of value to them, the protégés, that's what we call our, our lead participants, it's a value to them. They have ownership of it because they decided on the theme. Now, under that general theme, each fire team then plans 100% their own panel for Capcom. They decide their panel's titles. They reach out to speakers that are of interest to them and, and who can speak to what their specific fire team focus is under the umbrella of the greater Capcom theme. Someone from the fire team is the moderator of that panel. I mean, when we say they plan and implement their panel, we mean they plan and implement their panel. Now, obviously, Hill Vets does all the logistical stuff. We get the place and the time and we pay for things and whatnot. We also have certain partners and sponsors of the lead program who then do their own panels and have keynote speakers and that kind of thing. But a vast majority of Capcom is cohort-led. Sure. So I think that's amazing. A lot of times you take a leadership development course and your culminating thing is you write a paper. Well, who wants to do that? (laughs) (laughs) Sounds like school. (laughs) I wrote enough papers in grad school. I don't want to write any poor papers, you know? And we recognize that. We recognize that, you know, these folks, they all have jobs. These are mid-career level folks. Many of them are often active duty. A large portion of LEAD 7 were DOD fellows. And so this was right up their alley. But everybody has day jobs. We recognize that. And LEAD 7, Capcom 7, was fantastic. Granted, it was my only one as on staff at Hill Vets. 
but I thought it was wonderful. There are generally evening functions that go along with Capcom, like a, a reception kind of a thing. Capcom is completely free and open to the public. In the couple of weeks before Capcom, we start sharing the actual panel titles and things like that. And as as is true with any conference, attendees come and go. It's, sure. it's a full two days. Attendees might be interested in the 9 a.m. panel and then the next day's one o'clock panel, for example. And so people are going to come and go and do, do that kind of thing. And that's, that's good. Plus, uh, we live stream it as well. You know, so one thing I noticed is that whether I was in a good mood, I'd had a great day, or I'd had a horrible day and I was feeling alone or terrible, there, everyone was sympathetic and they were always open and welcoming. And I never felt like I was battling a click or that I didn't fit. And I think that anyone who's not comfortable jumping into a new environment, that this one is very welcoming and that the people work hard to you know, be open and friendly and interesting. So it helps you to grow in your own development. I love hearing that. You know, I think you're you're actually the first person who's ever articulated that to me. Obviously, I've only been staff for one cohort, but I love hearing that. I am going to use your story. I'm just going to tell you right now. I'm going to use your story going sure. forward about you know another advantage of of the lead program. I'm absolutely. I'm totally going to pirate your your words. So, hey, do you want to talk a little bit about Hillbed House? Hillbed's I would love to. Yeah. Hillbet House, um, when we were originally founded in 2013, uh, I believe the first Hillbet's fellow was placed in a congressional office in 2014. There was no housing associated with the Hillbet's fellowship. The first Hillbet's house was actually a three-bedroom apartment in Crystal City that far predates my association with the organization. In July of 2019, we cut the ribbon on Hillvet's house. And like I said earlier, Hillvet's house is on 12th Street in between Independence Avenue and Lincoln Park. So it is walkable to Capitol Hill. Matter of fact, the fellows who choose to live in Hillvet's house during their fellowship, we actually don't have a way to support them bringing their vehicle. We're in a residential area. You need a DC parking permit. We can't provide those. And we tell fellows, this is a walkable area. Eastern Market and Eastern Market Metro is around the corner. Oh, You've tons got- of shops and restaurants. There's lots of, lots of walkable stuff in the metro tons. right there. And and again, I, uh, being from the general DC area, I grew up riding our metro system. I think our metro system is fantastic. I've not been on a ton of metros, subways around the world, but I think our metro system is perfectly adequate for what DC is. And we have a metro station that's like a 10 or 12 minute walk, and you can then go anywhere. Um, 100% walkable to Capitol Hill, which is kind of the point because that's where our fellows are going to be working. So basically, Hillvet's house, we can house up to eight fellows at any given time. And male, female, Democrat, Republican, all the services, all the ranks. Matter of fact, I don't even think I know what most of our fellows' ranks are because we as Hillvets, we don't care. They aren't wearing that rank anymore. So that doesn't matter to us. Yeah. And a matter of fact, we'd we'd love to get more enlisted as fellows. So we have four double bedrooms. So it's it's not the Taj Mahal, but it is functional and furnished and safe and Free. <laughs> free. Free. It's one of my- Come to Hill Vets, live free. <laughs> well, you know, Jack- <laughs> For a little bit. You're here in DC. How much would rent be in East Capitol Hill? $3,000. Yeah. Our fellows can live in Hill Vets house 
for free in East Capitol Hill for however long from the time that I say, poof, you are a Hill Vets fellow, they can move in immediately. They don't have to wait until they've received their placement. Um, The gentleman I was speaking of earlier, Jonathan, who has a civil affairs background, he's lived in Hill Vets house now for six weeks, but won't start his placement until January. Right. So when does he have to move out once he gets his job and his first paycheck kind of thing? Or how's that work? So per our agreement with in-house fellows, they have 30 days after the last day of their fellowship to remain in the house. The idea being they've got a job and and hopefully a paycheck under their belt. Now, that said, we're not going to kick them to the curb. (laughs) (laughs) As, as long as we are not full and, and don't have, you know, people waiting to get into the house, they, we're, again, we're not going to kick them out. Um, right. That we're not about that. We're, we're not, you know, we're here to support the veteran community, uh, not make them homeless. So, not drive them off a cliff. Got it. Exactly. It just depends on their particular fellowship because the length of their fellowship is between the fellow and the congressional host office. Hill Vets does not dictate your fellowship starts X and ends X. We don't get involved in that. We suggest that it be about six months because that's truly how long it takes for someone to really learn how a Hill office works. Right. Some offices might want a fellow for less time. Some offices might want fellows for longer. Now, you'll notice that I said a lot of times our in-house fellows, our in-house fellows, we have fellows who do not live in Hill Vets House. You do not have to live in Hillvet's house to be a Hillvet's fellow. We cannot support families or pets because we are technically a private residence that we rent from someone else. We have to abide by our lease as well. And so if people have pets, if people, you know, married with families, then they have their own accommodations. So our, our major benefit to being a Hillvet's fellow not only the the help getting you into Capitol Hill, but our major benefit is that free housing during the fellowship. Many congressional host offices will choose to offer a fellow compensation at some level. Now, I say it that way because, again, Hillvets 100% does not get involved in that. That right. is between the fellow and the congressional host office. Sometimes fellows really need an office to offer them compensation. And so if they receive a placement offer from an office that cannot compensate them, they'll turn it down because they need one that can compensate them. And actually on our end, we don't even track that because we know Congress is a living, breathing, changing entity. Just because Congressman Schmuckatelli gave, you know, fellow XYZ a stipend, a year ago does not mean that that congressman can give fellow ABC a stipend this time. Their budget right. may have changed. Their staffing may have changed. We don't know that kind of information, and therefore, we don't get involved. But again, remember I was talking about that initial phone call with app, brand new applicants? This is explained to them in intricate detail. I mean, I truly go over all the you know, the what ifs and the maybes and the whatnot, because like I said, I do want applicants to know these kinds of things, eyes wide open, so that if their dream office offers them a placement, but can't compensate them, they knew that going in, that that was a possibility that they would not get compensated. And they're not like, oh, I can't do this because I can't be compensated. And they're possibly giving up what could be the greatest 
fellowship experience they could ever have in their dream office simply because that office can't compensate them. So right. we do, like I said, expectation management. I'm very big on that. And our applicants do go in knowing that that is the, the financial situation. Therefore, our fellowship is not for everyone. And, and we know that. I've had applicants just this year since I came on in January. We have this conversation and they're like, oh, yeah, I can't be without income for that long. And, right. you know, we go our separate ways. I ask them to still consider Hillvets as, as a resource in their professional lives. I encourage them if they're local, you know, still come to our networking Social events. events. Yeah. Yep. yeah. Still take advantage of us. Our fellowship isn't right for you, but maybe lead would be right for you. You know, that kind of thing. So it's, I just love us. <laughs> <laughs> just love well, Hillvets. Well, Jody, we've hit an hour, so let's. Yeah find your clothes. What would you like to say? Last pitch, anything, what you got? In a perfect world, every congressional office, Senate and House would have a military connected person on their staff. The veteran community, the military connected community as a subset of the U.S. population is one of the most diverse, educated subsets that there is. We are all genders, all races, all nationalities, all levels of education, even if you never have a college degree. Education is still education. Military folks are resilient, motivated, honest, and loyal. They're they're committed. Marine Corps, you know, honor, courage, and commitment. I mean, you know, that doesn't go away. Our folks, just because of their military connectedness, have incredibly high integrity. And so I... So you, you think that that honesty and integrity and mindset, the hard work mindset that the military imbues in its soldiers, as these people go into working in advocacy or congressional positions, helps bring that to our government as well. Oh, a hundred percent, a hundred percent. Okay. And then Hillfets is the bridge for people to get there. We certainly want it to be that that is our goal is, is to be that support system for the veteran community in the DC area, primarily in the public policy realm of the world in whatever way we can be, whether it be that uh, fellowship help, education through the LEAD program, the sense of community through our networking events, and obviously housing for our fellows who choose to take, you know, utilize the advantage of living in Hillvet's house. So I just can't say enough good things about Hillvet's. I mean, I, I really- well, you're going to have to, because I'm, I'm cutting you off. <laughs> <laughs> but let me say, Jody and, and the Hillvet's Foundation, thank you for coming on 1CA podcast. I think this has been great. You're very welcome, Jack. I relish this opportunity. And I'm so, so thankful that you asked me and Hillvets to uh, join you today. I, I hope that even if one listener benefits from hearing about Hillvets, I've utilized my time to the best of my ability. So, you know, hopefully there's one person out there going, yes, this is for me. And they go to our website, www.hillvets.org. And they look at us and see what we're all about and decide that this is a resource they'd like to take advantage of. And we will welcome them with open arms. Okay. Thank you. Absolutely. 
Thanks for tuning in to 1CA Podcast, a product of the Civil Affairs Association. If you like the show, please share and subscribe to hear all our latest and greatest. If you have a story idea or want a guest host, contact us at capodcasting at gmail.com. I will have our email and links to HillVets and the CA Association websites in the show notes. I appreciate you listening and stay tuned for future episodes.